Hi everyone, I'm Graham Smith from Republic and welcome to Abolish the Monarchy, a new podcast produced by uh, Republic. If you don't know much about Republic, you can find out more at republic.org.uk. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook, links on our website. With this podcast, I'm going to be bringing to you a series of conversations with all sorts of interesting people talking about the various issues that come up uh, during the course of our campaign. I had hoped to organise to meet up with a lot of people to record those uh, interviews, but obviously with current circumstances uh, being what they are, that's not been possible. So I am now organising uh, remote interviews and uh, hopefully we'll bring those over the next coming uh, days and weeks. Republic is a campaign group, does what it says on the tin. We campaign for the abolition of the British monarchy in favour of a democratic alternative. The reasons for this are pretty straightforward. I mean, the first one really is just a matter of principle. Um, we feel that as a country we do value uh, ideas such as equality and democracy. And if we are going to place uh, you know, a high value on those ideas, then we really ought to be enshrining them in our national institutions. You know, It is not okay as a democracy to have uh, the monarchy in place, which is not only undemocratic, quite obviously, uh, but it is also anti-democratic in that it, it compromises our values and it compromises our commitment uh, to the ideals of democracy. Democracy in this country becomes a kind of means to an end, a, a sort of a... Uh, a mechanism for achieving certain things but then it becomes limited you know it becomes something we do once every five years and then the power uh, rushes back into Downing Street uh, Parliament and to some extent the palace really we ought to be uh, much bolder in our commitment to democracy and really uh, knowing and understanding that that means that it's not about trusting the people to make decisions it's about recognizing that people have every right to make the decisions uh, the big decisions to have full control over their parliament choose their head of state uh, and um, to have some degree of power during uh, the life of a parliament and not just at an election in my mind you know, if anybody says that they are a Democrat, if anybody says that, yes, OK, in principle, a Republic is the right thing, then that is that should be enough. You know, there is no argument, there isn't a good argument for keeping the monarchy. Um, and, you know, principles do matter. And I don't think we can simply say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's OK in principle. But, you know, if it's OK in principle, if it's the right thing to do in principle, uh, there is no argument for keeping the monarchy. But let's say that principle isn't enough for you. But, you know, the, the, this is an institution, the monarchy, which is simply not fit for purpose. Uh, it is an institution that falls far short of the standards that we expect of public bodies. And there are official standards in public life, which are um, you can find on the internet. Um, they were introduced in 1995, I believe, by the major government. And they set out the sorts of uh, standards that we expect of any public body, whether it's parliament or government or a, um, a public authority, like a local government, for example, or an individual police officer. Um, these are standards to do with probity, to do with transparency and accountability, and to do with acting in the interests of the public and not uh, private interests. And the monarchy falls short of all of these. Now, obviously, it is, it is nepotism um, by definition. It is extremely secretive. Um, there are historians that have described the royal household as more secretive than MI5 
or the CIA. Now, of course, the MI5 and CIA, you've got good reason to want to be uh, secretive. Um, why would the Royal Household have such reasons? What possible motivation could there to be secret other than to keep away and out of the public limelight information that would embarrass them or potentially damage uh, the monarchy to such an extent that we might want to get rid of it? And that secrecy is clearly unacceptable. Some examples, the monarchy is not covered at all by the Freedom of Information Act. You cannot write to the palace and say, uh, please, under the Freedom of Information Act, I want to know this or that, and you know, I want you to give me X information. Uh, they do claim to um, attempt to abide by the principles of the FOI Act, but uh, on the whole, if you ask them for anything that is remotely uh, of interest, um, they will simply ignore you. Other departments and government uh, bodies um, are covered by the FOI Act uh, and you can write to them and say, can I have information that you hold regarding the royal family? But uh, the Act exempts that information uh, and it used to exempt it um, from disclosure unless you could prove that there is a public interest. Uh, the government, however, in 2010-2011 removed that public interest test when it's relating to senior members of the royal family. So if you now want to write to a government uh, government department and say can you please tell me uh, what Prince Charles has been saying to you in terms of lobbying for his particular uh, agenda um, that uh, can no longer be disclosed there's no public interest test you can't take them to court a few years ago the Guardian newspaper fought uh, successfully for the release of some letters sent by Prince Charles to government departments um, it was a 10-year legal battle which they eventually won um, but that was under the public interest test and the law was changed while that battle was going on um, and so those letters that were released are the only ones that will ever be released under the current law. So it's a hugely secretive institution and that begs a whole load of questions as to why. Why is it so secretive? And it, it just simply isn't acceptable that, a, that our head of state and the institution that surrounds her um, behaves in this way. And we can guess as to why it is. Um, you know, one of the areas in which they are secretive is to do with funding and money. And this is another uh, big problem. Um, and I don't think it's too far to say that the institution is corrupt because corruption is the abuse of public office for private gain. And the royals gain huge amounts um, financially uh, from being in this uh, this institution. Um, they claim that the monarchy costs the taxpayer around £40 million a year, plus at the moment another £40 million a year uh, to fix Buckingham Palace. Um, our research, which is uh, uh, available on our website, is uh, shows that the annual cost of the monarchy is closer to £345 million. Now, that is the equivalent of something like 17,000 new nurses. Um, it's the equivalent of something uh, of a similar number of new teachers or new police officers. So this is a huge amount of money being spent on one institution, and, and the secrecy is part of the reason. You know, they do not disclose individual costs of travel unless uh, the particular trip costs more than fifteen thousand pounds. There's no excuse for this. Now we know that they fly around U the UK by helicopter routinely, which is an extremely expensive and environmentally damaging uh, mode of transport um, 
and those costs keep on uh, being racked up at the taxpayer's expense. We then have uh, another about £40 million pounds being uh, simply given away to Prince Charles and the Queen as uh, Duke of um, Cornwall and Duke of Lancaster. Um, so the income, the surplus income from those duchies um, goes to the Queen and to uh, Prince Charles. And that is public land. This is uh, land that belongs to us and uh, it should be going to the Treasury. Now, the cost of the monarchy isn't the issue. If the monarchy was free, we'd still want to get rid of it. The, the extremely high cost and the um, the outrageous use and misuse of public money by the royals is the issue. And it is a symptom of an institution which is unaccountable um, and which is secretive. This is what happens in any walk of life. If someone has access to someone else's money um, and they cannot be held to account for what they do they, they it is it is easy uh, to hide what they're spending um, then the temptation for many people is simply too great we also see with the royals that they have no qualms about um, using their positions to lobby government ministers whether it's in favor of their own interests or whether it is in favor of their political agenda now we know that Prince Charles does this regularly. Every week he is firing off letters to government ministers about a whole range of issues. And he has made very clear what his views are on uh, issues uh, ranging from the environment to health, education, uh, town planning. Um, you name it, he has got an opinion on it and he will lobby ministers to change their views and their policies um, accordingly. Now, this is a real problem because he is supposed to be impartial. He's going to be king. We don't know when that's going to be. It could be tomorrow. It could be next year. It could be in 10 years' time. Um, but he is not impartial. He has an agenda, and he has been uh, actively lobbying for that agenda. They also, of course, lobby for their own interests. They've lobbied successfully, as I mentioned, to get the Freedom of Information Act changed to increase their uh, secrecy. And they have lobbied to change the way in which they are funded, which has uh, benefited them enormously. But here's the problem with the lobbying, the biggest problem, is that uh, unlike you or I or anybody else, um, they aren't covered by the Freedom of Information Act, so their lobbying is done in secret. They also have uh, direct access to any government ministers, um, so they have much greater opportunity to uh, persuade uh, ministers of their views. Prince Charles has the opportunity to block uh, legislation if it um, affects his personal interests, um, which is considerable amounts of uh, leverage. This is something called the royal consent, uh, where he has to consent to any legislation that affects him as Duke of Cornwall. Now, this is a very real thing. Uh, the upshot is that uh, law is tailored to his needs, and there are many laws in, on the on the books that have uh, specifically exempted the Duchy of Cornwall, um, either not included the Duchy in the scope of the law or ensured that if the Duchy is uh, found to have broken the law, there are no criminal sanctions uh, for the Duke. Uh, but of course we don't know whether he uses this as leverage on other issues as well. He could well be lobbying people uh, for his own agenda or on behalf of some of his um, somewhat questionable friends in places such as the Middle East, for example, uh, with the implied threat of causing difficulties for the government uh, down the road on other issues. Uh, 
And to compound all this, Charles is sent all cabinet papers. Now, not even all cabinet ministers are sent all cabinet papers. It all depends on what role they have and what their security clearance is and so on. Prince Charles is sent all of them. And so he knows well in advance before anything is made public or presented to Parliament what the government is talking about. And he therefore has direct access uh, to early um, information as well as to ministers who are making decisions. And he could uh, lobby successfully without anyone knowing uh, or being any the wiser because decisions are made before anything is made public. And the one final thing to say about the royal family is that they simply don't uh, themselves live up to um, the standards that we ought to be expecting from public um, uh, public figures. And I'd say that specifically uh, and particularly it leaves us with a head of state who is um, less than inspiring in that, uh, and this isn't a personal criticism of the Queen so much as a, a reflection on the realities of her position, is that she is not able to say anything or do anything of any meaning or consequence. Um, for fear of damaging the standing of the monarchy. Um, there's no accountability, and so she, uh, if she did something which was controversial or, or um, divisive, uh, then uh, the only or the likely outcome would be the whole uh, institution being brought down. And so the whole thing is, is sort of um, it becomes incredibly anodyne and... Um, bland for fear of, of uh, putting the monarchy in jeopardy and so we have a monarch that's been on the throne for almost 70 years and uh, and who has done almost nothing of any note said nothing of any note um, in all that time and I think that this is this is a, uh, a lost opportunity when we could have had a series of really inspiring and interesting heads of state um, elected by the people and representing uh, this country as you do in uh, our nearest neighbor the Republic of Ireland who um, currently has Michael D. Higgins, who is a pretty uh, uh, interesting and hugely popular figure. One other reason, then, uh, apart from principle and the failures of the palace, is the politics of all this, the constitution. I mean, Britain, Britain's constitution is pretty atrocious. Um, some people have say, oh, well, we don't have a constitution. Well, we do, but it is a, uh, a hodgepodge of um, legislation, convention, um, and uh, treaties. That, uh, that leave us um, none the wiser sometimes in terms of you know how it's supposed to work. So one example is that there was a uh, uh, an inquiry into the role of referendums um, not so long ago um, in the House of Lords, and they were asking people, experts in the Constitution, has a convention now been set that we need a referendum to change the Constitution? And the the consensus was really a, a shoulder shrug. Uh, everyone saying, well, we're not really quite sure. Um, you know, a constitution should be clear. It should be written down so that it can be not only clearly understood, but also uh, clearly and simply amended when necessary. Instead, we have this rather weird situation which is developed as a kind of a grudging evolution over the last 250 years. And the upshot of this is that an awful lot of power uh, still remains with the crown, but that power is then exercised by the government and uh, by the Prime Minister and his ministers. Um, these are the royal prerogative powers and they are um, extensive. Uh, they give um, far too much power, in my view, to the government. We have one of the most powerful governments uh, in the democratic world, far more powerful than 
the US government in terms of uh, domestic politics. Um, we have very little division of powers to between the government and parliament, and we have no independent and effective head of state to provide a role as uh, a referee or an arbiter in times of crisis or political stalemate. And we saw this last year with the uh, row over proroguing or suspending the parliament uh, during the Brexit process. But it cannot be the case, surely, that the Queen is required to do something which is unconstitutional uh, simply because she is told to do so. That cannot be a constitutional position. Um, so the whole thing is a mess, and really the alternative is pretty straightforward. So we write down in a constitution the broad uh, principles of how things work, you know, which institutions we have. So we have a head of state, we have two, parliament, two houses of parliament, upper house and lower house, both fully elected. We would have uh, still a prime minister drawn from the lower house who would uh, form a government. And, uh, and that would largely be it. So the head of state would be elected, would have a limited constitutional role, uh, not making political decisions, but making constitutional decisions where there is a conflict between government and parliament, for instance, uh, or where the government attempts to pass legislation which is in contravention of the constitution. Now, this kind of thing works across Europe uh, pretty well. It certainly works in Ireland, where uh, the president plays a limited role, but has on occasion uh, refused to sign a bill uh, that's gone through parliament into law, uh, on the grounds that it's unconstitutional. And there are mechanisms for resolving those um, situations. Um, the legislation can either go back to Parliament for another go, um, or it can go to court for arbitration. Um, so this is, the, this is the thing, is that there is a, a democratic alternative, and the move to that democratic alternative would be a huge news story. <laughs> I mean, it would really, you know, make history. And uh, I think it's something which uh, would inspire an awful lot of people around the world to see Britain uh, shake off these um, these sort of feudal historic uh, um, institutions and, and ideas and say, no, we're going to stand on our own two feet and we're going to do all this ourselves. We're going to govern ourselves. We're going to elect all of our parliamentarians. We're going to elect our head of state. We're going to write it down so it's really clear. And if we want to change the constitution, we know how we can do that. Um, and who can do that. Hopefully that's been reasonably informative. I am going to be hopefully posting new podcast episodes over the next few days and weeks, uh, which will be uh, conversations with all the various people that uh, can shed more light on some of those issues um, and uh, discuss in more detail some of the um, problems with the monarchy and the arguments for a republic. Don't forget you can find out more about Republic at republic.org.uk including links to our social media and ways to uh, support the campaign whether it's by joining, donating or getting involved.